If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to One on One with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. What would you do if your own mortality was staring you right in the face? For me, really, it's a question of time, right? What are you going to do with it when the amount of time you have left isn't guaranteed? Well, here's someone who is really making the most of her time and not just in her own life, but to help others who are in similar situations to her. A Philadelphia business owner and mother of five battling stage four lung cancer. And as part of that fight, she's doing something that is really pretty remarkable. It's my fourth or fifth Ironman since diagnosis. You know, I'm still the same person. <laughs> Just I have to be better at accepting that I'm not necessarily able to do all the things I used to be able to do at the same speed and with the same ability. But I still enjoy the challenge of, of trying. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And KYW News Radio's midday anchor Denise Decano will share the amazing story of Isabella de la Jose with us coming up a little bit later on. But first, Sometimes, or maybe all the time, you see stories that just make you think, what is wrong with people? On Sunday afternoon, someone stole a three-month-old puppy that was up for adoption at the Pennsylvania SPCA. I feel like we've had this really unsettling run of stories that are a little bit harrowing involving pets and animals. We had Buddy the Cat. We had the dogs at the facility that were exposed to a very dangerous upper respiratory virus. Anyhow, a white terrier mix named Wendy went missing a day after a family signed up to adopt her. PSPCA spokesperson Jillian Coker explained what happened to KYW News Radio's Nina Barati. All we want to do is find loving homes for these animals, and we had done that in this case. And to have someone just come in and, and really steal not only the dog, but steal that opportunity from a deserving family is really heartbreaking. You know, I understand how you could walk into a shelter and just want to walk out with a puppy. I, I get it, but you got to do it the right way. As for how Wendy was smuggled out of the PSPCA, security videos show a woman walking up to the kennel, opening the door and just taking her, putting her in her purse and then leaving. The woman apparently was working with someone else, but a few hours after Wendy went missing, she was dropped off at a police station in Philly. So she will be returned to who will be now her rightful parents. And if you're wondering, the PSPCA doesn't lock kennels for safety reasons. Obviously, if there's something like a fire, you need to get a dog out of a kennel very quickly. You can't go locking the thing. But now they plan to review their security protocols to keep people from walking in there and tucking a dog in their purse. Probably more effort went into trying to steal Wendy than it would have been to just sign up and adopt her or one of her fellow dogs. It's always easier to do things the right way. Ever since the Supreme Court's opinion on Roe versus Wade leaked, it's been on the front of everybody's minds, especially young women and girls in Westchester. So Julia Casper created the Girl Spark Summit nearly four years ago. And now at age 19, the annual summit was held in person at Westchester University for the first time since the pandemic. And one of the topics that was talked about was, as you'd expect, reproductive rights. A lot of women are angry, including myself. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. And I just want to talk to other women, get their point of view on things. But at the same time, we don't want to exclude anyone that has different points of view. 
Now, the Supreme Court decision wasn't the central purpose of this event or anything. They had other sessions on depression, anxiety, rape and sexual assault, self-defense, microaggressions, unconscious bias, safe relationships, all kinds of things that really affect these teenage girls. And one point that one of the young women who attended this Fanta Conde made is that these issues really affect these girls, even though they can't vote on them yet. Unless they want to, like, bring down the voting age to, like, 16, then they shouldn't have an opinion about our youth. It's just so important for girls, even as young as 13, to be talking about these things because they will come up in their lives in some form of another. So for more information about Girls Spark, check out our link in the show notes. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that two-thirds of this group was following the Sixers game last night. But, Sabrina, you can <laughs> correct me if I am mistaken. But listen, no, even, if you, even if you weren't watching the Sixers game, I'd say there's a pretty good chance you might have heard there was as much talk about a particular fan as there was about James Harden going all Houston Rockets mode and helping the 76ers tie their second-round series with the Heat at two games to two. So for some quick setup, there was a fan sitting courtside on the baseline, and he was caught on TV looking like he was totally passed out, fast asleep, during one of the most critical junctures of the game late in the third quarter. There were screen grabs, videos went viral, it exploded on Twitter. So who else could track down the gentleman who was sitting courtside, seemingly asleep, than our own Dave Uram? So Dave, tell us about this gentleman that was spotted, knocked out, and became a viral sensation in the midst of a really cool night for the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, Jay, speaking of social media, I have to credit social media for being able to track him down so quickly because I was able to communicate him through, with, through Facebook. Uh, his name is David Kelleher. He is a local car salesman. And for a brief moment late in the third quarter, the entire country saw him sleeping. According to Dave, it is a very, very short nap, a cat nap in a sense. But this is his explanation for how he fell asleep late in the third quarter last night. I had flown back home from Atlanta. I was with my daughter for a college visit the night before we got in after midnight. So I probably didn't get to sleep till one. Um, she had a soccer game in Annapolis that morning. We left the house at seven. Um, so not a lot of sleep and a long drive, both back and forth, came back to Mother's Day brunch, probably ate more than I should have, and then went to the six and ran down to the Sixers game. Guys, I, I give him credit. He took it all in stride. And he was taking a lot of cell phones to cell phone calls, too, during our, our Zoom chat. I, the, those must be people reaching out to him, you have to think, for going viral. I don't know. It was just it was a cool chat this morning. Uh, I was really cool that I was able to get a hold of him quickly, that he was willing to talk about it and have so much fun with it. He called it uh, unprecedented. I like that he's taking it in stride, like almost like it's a fun moment where his name is out there. Plus, with his business, that could probably do some business for him, too, just for him getting out there. Like, hey, remember me? You know this face because he's everywhere, including at the Sixers game, apparently. Well, the amazing thing is, and I told him this, I said, you know, if this were any other time when social media didn't exist you wouldn't have gone viral. It's just funny. Life just works in funny, mysterious ways sometimes. And Dave Uram managed to track him down because that's just what Dave Uram does, man. Thank you so much for dropping in here and helping us out, helping identify the man who quickly became viral as the Sixers went off and tied the series with Miami. Always appreciate coming on the JohnCast, guys.
Now, if you want to hear about somebody doing some superhuman things, Denise Nakano joins us next to tell us an incredible story about a New Jersey mom who refuses to let life-threatening stage four cancer slow her down. That story is coming up after this. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. It is always great to catch up with KYW News Radio's midday anchor, Denise Nakano. Hey, Denise, how are you? I'm good, Brian. How's it going? It is going well. You know, you filed a story over the weekend that it really made me put things down, pause for a moment, take stock of life, do some deep thinking. Isabella De La Husse, she is literally in the fight of her life right now with stage four lung cancer. Some people could view a diagnosis like that as a death sentence. What type of galvanizing effect has it had on her? She was diagnosed about four years ago, and she's an endurance athlete of top of being a mom of five, and she's a business owner, owns an antique shop in in Philadelphia. Uh, She's got a lot going on. And so when she got this, can you imagine? It's like devastating. Stage four lung cancer. That's like one of the worst cancers to get. Stage four. And I think the prognosis is like a five-year survivor rate is is around 4%. Stage four lung cancer is a bit different than other cancers because A, there's no cure and there's no remission. So you just go from treatment to treatment to treatment until you run out of treatments. And so I'm on my fifth line of treatment, but that kind of nonstop, you know, whether it's chemo, targeted therapy, immunotherapy, it just really takes a toll. So all of a sudden your perspective on life changes. You wonder, well, I thought it was going to be around for 10, 15, 20 more years and, and had your life planned out and had these things on your, your bucket list. But now all of a sudden that time frame has shrunk on you and you don't know how much time you have left. And so it was devastating for her to learn uh, as it would be for anybody getting that kind of diagnosis. Denise, when people hear lung cancer, at least I should say, when I hear lung cancer, you think smoking had to have been a smoker exposed to smoke. Was Isabella a smoker? Uh, Isabella was not a smoker. And the whole diagnosis, the whole way she learned about it was she was having like pain in her spine. And the doctors insisted that it couldn't be any cancer, couldn't be anything. It must have been like an athletic injury of some sort because she was so athletic. So it took some time for it to be diagnosed as well. And that's part of the problem, too, because there's not really great the greatest screening. It usually happens when it's too late, when it's actually detected. And that's why it becomes stage four. And that's why it's so so deadly Many of the, the, in the many of the cases. It's awareness at the doctor level. It's awareness at the people level. But you're relying on your doctors when you come in and say, I have these symptoms. You know, what's wrong with me? And had I been diagnosed properly six months earlier when I first started going to doctors and saying, I feel horrible. These are my symptoms. And they kept saying, you have a sports injury. And when lung cancer, you know, it was raised, you know, it was like, well, you weren't a smoker. Wrong. I mean, I I wasn't a smoker, but you need to then do a a chest x-ray. You know, you can't just rule it out because I wasn't a smoker. And none of that's covered by insurance. And people don't do it. And doctors don't know to do it. And that's the story every single day in my world is that people get misdiagnosed. No, she was she was not a smoker, but she still fights to bring awareness about lung cancer across the board. You know, whether you're a smoker or non-smoker, because even if you were a smoker, you still deserve to have the research funding. You still have the right to live. So did Isabella get any sense of how severe this is when they diagnosed her? Is this is this 
the death sentence that a lot of people think of with stage four lung cancer? Her story is pretty incredible because you think of somebody like Isabella Delahousse, who is finishing Ironman triathlons, who have who has summited peaks. I, I think she's a superwoman. I don't know how she does it. She does have stage four, so that means it's very far along. Uh, the cancer had moved from like her spine to her not only her lung but to her her brain as well, and uh, to her pelvis area. It, it's it's spread. I mean, when it's stage four, it's metastasized at that point. So it's it is typically not a good thing to hear. It's typically eventually a death sentence. There is no cure. And it's almost like, how am I going to manage it at this point? And she takes a holistic approach and when she faces this. But for her, it has changed, I think, her whole way of being and living because you, you don't have, you're on borrowed time now with a stage four prognosis. I think a lot of being able to do what I'm doing is that I'm, I, I was already physically active when I got sick. So it wasn't a new territory for me. And as an athlete, not professional athlete, but I was, you know, I competed a lot. The you get used to sort of being outside of your comfort zone and pushing through discomfort. So I think having that experience before has been very helpful in pushing through, you know, the nausea of the chemo and the discomfort and the fatigue that comes. So, you know, that place and you know that if you push through it, you get to a a place where you actually feel better. And that's what I I tell people a lot of times, you know, the hardest step is that first step to get out of bed. It's been difficult for her, but I think she's just, uh, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and proceeding with life like she is going to do the most she can in the amount of time she has left. Because I was thinking between the cancer itself, the effects of the treatment, the physical demand that some of these activities she's involved with require, what type of toll is all this taking on her and how is she able to push through and, and keep it all going? She talks about the toll as being more of a, a mental thing, but she at this point has, knows that it's going to be uncomfortable and that she's going to keep pushing herself like she knows the feeling of pain from being an endurance athlete that she understands and she embraces it and she's going to push herself ahead, thinking that this is probably the best way to get more oxygen, more energy through my body so that I can release these toxins that are going into my body to try to help me. I have to wonder not just physically how, but also why. Why does she want to push her body to the limits and, you know, maybe even beyond the, the limits that we would think of, especially in this, this situation? I just believe that Isabella is not a woman who can stand still. She is one who's she's an overachiever. She pushes. She she shares her life with her family and her family actually is is encouraging, not only encouraging, but taking part in these feats with her. She had one of her, her, her sons, she's got five kids, one of her sons actually took part in this Ironman triathlon that she did in Texas a couple weeks ago. She is just a, a force. I stopped running because I had a lot of cancer in my bones at diagnosis. I started walking a lot to try to rebuild the spine. And that's another thing, you know, when the cancer's destroyed your bone, you know, a lot of people resort to, to sort of bone strengthening drugs which don't really rebuild strong bone. So the way to rebuild strong bone is to do low impact exercise, which is walking. So um, I had to rebuild my whole sacrum. It had been completely destroyed initially. So I started walking like, you know, first it's around the block then it's two times around the block and then got up to marathons and just started doing 
you know, walk running those. But it was really critical to healing all the broken pieces of my spine. I think that she felt like this is what I know. This is what I'm going to continue doing. And I'm going to push myself until I can't anymore. And she finds a way. And I think that what she's doing clearly is setting an inspiring example, something that people can look up to. What does she consider her mission to be? It seems like she feels empowered by this to a certain extent. She has a charge. Do you guys talk about that? Oh, yeah. Her her main min- mission is to bring awareness to lung cancer because it kills more people every year than prostate, breast, and colon cancer combined and it sees the least amount of funding, and it hits women disproportionately, and non-smoker, non-smoking women. A lot of people think that they get a cancer diagnosis, any kind of cancer diagnosis, or they're on chemo, and they just sort of feel they're afraid to try to move the way they used to, or afraid to do too much. And I really personally think you know, the more you can get out and do, the, the better you're going to handle the diagnosis and the treatment. So it's a lot lot about just showing what's possible. So for her, it's not only to raise awareness and to say, hey, I'm doing this. I've got stage four lung cancer. This is who I am, but also to raise money in the process. So she raised some upwards of $50,000 in this latest triathlon that she did. Uh, She's going to be doing next at the end of this month, a hundred mile bike race for Ride Hard, Breathe Easy, which is an organization based in Philly that provides uh, support to people who are trying to seek treatment. It pays for their their way to get to treatment and helps them with their bills, their rent, things like that to help support people who are going through lung cancer. But she's doing all she can to to put the spotlight on especially lung cancer, because it has such a stigma attached to it because it does affect disproportionately too a lot of uh, people who have smoked in the past. But I mean, it's still important that the same research and the funding goes into it as other cancers and diseases, but it's not happening. Now, of course, this isn't physically or emotionally possible for everyone to do. So we are not saying everyone go push yourself to your extreme limits if you get sick with something like cancer. But it is really, really impressive and inspiring that Isabella found a way to be able to keep doing what she loves. And it's a powerful story, Denise, but it also has a bit of a personal tone for you as well, right? That's right. I've seen this affect my mother firsthand. She died of lung cancer. It'll actually be 10 years ago next month where she had passed. And I saw the quick deterioration. She had always been healthy in my eyes, never went to the hospital. And then she was diagnosed in stage four lung cancer and she was dead three months later. So I, and I saw her in the last, I was with her, like by her bedside the last month of her life. Um, So it's really difficult. So yeah, what what Isabella is doing is not not something normal. Um, And uh, there is... You know, so many people who suffer through this, that's why it's important to have more research and more dedication toward it, toward this disease. On my, on my, I guess my mother's side, everyone had lived to be in their 90s and maybe even past 100. Like one, I had one great aunt who lived to be a 101. I expected my mom to be around, you know, for many more years to not die at age 67. So, so yeah, it's, it's hard. And then, you know, I really appreciate Isabella even more, you know, for for what she's been able to accomplish and how she's using that as part of her mission to bring awareness about lung cancer and to do more to help in that field that really desperately needs more help. Denise, we know something else that you're following right now is that May is, of course, 
Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. What are some of the things you're covering? Yes, we are every... Tuesdays and Thursdays, I've got these profiles on great Asian Americans in the Philadelphia region who are doing their part, who are, who are making their mark. And whether it's in city government or being an Olympian, Andrew Heo from Bucks County, who made his mark in the Olympics during the wintertime, um, or a veteran who never really got to see the appreciation of his work fighting for our country during World War II until very recently. There are just so many stories out there. I'd learned, too, that the Indonesian American and immigrant community is one of the largest largest in South Philly. And um, and they're trying to keep their culture and awareness alive. So, so many stories out there, and I'm glad to share it on KYW uh, 103.9 FM um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays throughout the month of May. Denise, we'll definitely have you back to talk more about that. So if people out there are not radio listeners, we're going to share those stories on the podcast as well. But thanks for thanks for joining us today. And it's always good to catch up and hear the great stories that you have. Thank you for having me. That's Denise Nakano, midday anchor here at KYW News Radio. You can find her on Twitter at Nakano Denise. That's it for this Monday. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. Have a good one. We'll see you on Tuesday.